0: Welcome to Group Tech. Super fun guest today. Actress, writer, host, uh, songwriter, Jackie Tone. Good morning. Good afternoon. I don't even know what time it is anymore.
1: I'm not gonna tell you what time it is because I also don't know, but I'm gonna I'm gonna match your good morning with a good morning. Thank
0: you. Thank you. So I have so much I wanna ask you. I mean, I found out. So many interesting things about you when I was was researching. First of all, okay, so you were raised in New York. Mm-hmm. You started acting at nine. Was it That's your awesome. idea or your parents' idea?
1: Mine, which is so nuts. My parents are both uh, physical education teachers. PE uh, teachers? No way. I, I could just say gym teachers. Well, they were. They were long since retired. But my mom gave up, gave it all up to take me on auditions starting when I was like nine. What was your first, what was your first job? My first job was like an industrial commercial for Mothers Against Drunk Driving. I think I was like a little kid blowing out birthday candles. And the story was like, Hey, don't drive drunk. You could kill this kid who's blowing up. That is great. That's a little depressing. A little heavy, but I don't think I knew what was going on. Like, I was on set. I had my hair and makeup. I was in a little dress. I blew out the candles and I went home. Right. Like, I didn't know what was going on. But my first real gig, I was on the nanny when I was 12.
0: No way. Playing yes. what? A friend or? Yeah.
1: No, playing a mini Fran.
0: Oh my God. That's hilarious.
1: <laughs> you know, exactly.
0: Hilarious. Now, but how could you do that at age 12?
1: Well, I. I just was this kid who, I just knew what I wanted to do from when I was a baby. Like, it never was a, I never was, I never sat there and went like, ugh, what do I go to college for? What do I do? What's my life plan? It was always eye on the prize. I want to write jokes and tell them, and I want to perform them, and ideally, I'd like to walk down a staircase and have a studio audience applaud.
0: (laughs) That's a little specific.
1: Well, okay, fair. I
0: have to ask this because it is not a healthy and normal thing um having been raised by a comedian you started doing stand-up at 14 what is wrong with you
1: (laughs) you're my best friend you just didn't know till now and i'm glad we're finally connecting yeah Um I, you know, what's really funny is my friend who's a fellow comic, he asked me the same thing and I always sort of identified, like, I always thought I had a great childhood and I think I did. I have a really funny mom and I think she's not a comic, obviously. I said she was a gym teacher, but she could have been a comic and I likened her to your mom my whole life. I always said my mom, if she made different choices, she could have been Stand up comedian. I mean, she's not funny in the way that, like, we sort of mock our old Jewish mothers, where you're like, oh God, she said something dumb again. Like, she properly delivers jokes. Like, she's incredible, but she just never did it. And so I was raised by a really funny lady, and it made me funny. Um, but also, you want to get dark with it. I'm, I'm the descendant, my grandparents are Holocaust survivors, and my grandma was the most sarcastic wise-ass, driest, because that was how they survived.
0: survived. right?
1: And so I would say to my grandma, um, like she could barely walk in her like 80s and she would come over our house like looking, she she always dressed up. She always was in her little matching earrings and necklace and her little outfits. And I'd be like, you look good. Where are you going? And she'd go, dancing. You know, just a wise-ass. And also just raised with Yiddish. Like when I was, I would be—I was a kid actor, and when I when I wanted to, I'd be sad that I was missing like a school dance. And my mom and grandma and aunt—they would just. What does that mean? Ass, with one ass, you can't dance at two weddings, kid. Like, <laughs> and it's just—it's in us. So part of it is like, what happened to you that you were funny at fourteen? But also like. This is what was around me. It just wise-assery from birth.
0: It's not about being funny. It's about being crazy enough to want to stand up in front of an audience and say, laugh at me, please, or laugh with me, please. I mean, that is not normal.
1: I know. And I I don't know where the absolute blind confidence came from, because I'll tell you, it went away in my 20s. After, like, enough rejection and you go on auditions every day, you never get the part. And in my 20s, I sort of, I didn't have the blind confidence I had as a kid. And that, I just think, probably came from, like, my parents thinking I was the second coming of the Mashiach. Like, my parents just thought I was and treated me that way.
0: Did you work at, like, the clubs at night? I mean, were your parents having to sit there? at, you know, waiting for you to go on at midnight. Like catch a rising
1: start when yeah. I yeah you no. Know, so, you know, I did stand up when I was younger, but I definitely like, I'm not claiming to have like been pounding the pavement with like the Mitch Hedbergs and the Marins and the people who were like in New York really doing it. Like I was writing jokes and performing them. And since I had an agent, we would like, there were showcases I would get on. So a lot of the time my stand up was more for, you know, I was in meetings or audition. right. And then I would, like, do my shtick and get a development deal at Nickelodeon out of it, or, you know, like... Right. Definitely. But I did do shows, like, proper shows. I remember I went up at Gotham a bunch. I went up at The Cellar a bunch. I can, like, think of the places that I... Caroline's.
0: Oh, my God.
1: Yeah, but I wasn't, like... Again, I wasn't, like, four times a week taking the subway alone at 12 years old. Right. Like, my mom would sh- let me in, and then I would, like, be the one kid on the show. Dude, I... I've talked about it in therapy for so many fucking years. Like, what, where did it come? Like, how, how at 14 are you just not scared of your own shadow? And I don't know. And I was grossly underdeveloped, too. So I like wasn't dating boys and stuff. I looked 11.
0: Yeah, that was like me. Like, late bloomer. 100%. 100%.
1: So what brought you
0: to L.A.? What What made you? Because you're such a New Yorker. I mean. I mean, you your family is such New Yorkers and the whole you know, experience, well, I, so, what brought, what made you want to come to LA, which is, you know, I my think, parents never adjusted.
1: Right. See now for me, I came to LA sort of on a whim. I was going to the university of Delaware because that actually wasn't a weird thing to do when you lived in New York. It was just no. like one of those East coast schools. It was actually kind of popular.
0: It was very, um, by the way, still is popular.
1: Yeah. Like a lot of my friends were going there. It's funny. Cause when I tell a lot of West coast people, they're like, you're what? But so I went to Delaware and there was a huge break in between semesters, like truly two months. Yeah, and since I already had my agent. It was pilot season. I was 18. And she was like, why don't you go to LA for, from December to February and see what we can get done. And she came with me. She was the most supportive agent that you ever saw. She was like, you know, the agent in like beaches or something where right. she was just like like my second mother and she was best friends with my mom. So me and my mom and Aggie Gold of Fresh Faces agency hopped <laughs> on a plane. <laughs> can you die? Aggie Gold of Fresh Faces. Can I help you? How could it be any other name on the planet? Yeah. And we came out to LA and <clears throat> I guess it was the year of the team, teen- like Dawson's Creek had just come out and I was testing for every single thing I tried out for. And then I got a development deal with Danny Jacobson, who uh, show ran Roseanne and created Mad About You. Kind of a huge deal, Danny huge Jacobson. Deal. And so then I got this deal and he signed me to 20th, I believe. And then we were going to make a pilot. And I was like, well, I'm not going to go back to college. I, what am I doing? Like all my dreams are coming true. I'm 18. Then... I went to the TV Guide Awards with my friend Ben, who I was on the nanny with. Uh huh. Met Jessica Biel, who I was obsessed with. Literally oh had, had collages of her. Which, she by the way,
0: do you, does she not have the most beautiful nose?
1: What is going on with her? Have nose, face, rest of body, personality, right. heart. But it's like
0: she's she's got and such it's real. such. She's so. which you don't realize she's so fine boned and. I remember the first time I met her in person and she's like, she's tall, but she's got like these refined features. And I remember still to this day, I'm like, oh my God, that's like the most amazing nose I've ever seen in person.
1: And it's real.
0: Yeah, which is really fucking annoying.
1: It's fucking annoying. I mean, her whole thing, it's like I remember when we when we lived together, we would like crash up in the same bed and like she'd wake up in the morning and throw such a tomboy and throw her hair in a pony, no makeup. And it's just like a porcelain person bite near you. It's like it's not even Oh my god,
0: you I didn't know Jessica Biel was your roommate. Well,
1: well I, I, I I buried the lead. Okay. I jumped the gun. So then I met her at the TV Guide Awards and I was testing for all these shows and I said to her, Yeah, I'm going back to college. And she was like, You are? She was, I was like, I have nowhere to live out here. I don't have a car, I don't have anything. And like within a few days of knowing each other, she was like, move in with me, move in with my family in Calabasas. And my mom loved that. Cause she was like, you're going to be under a roof with parents. You're not just going to be like dead beating in LA. You're yeah. going to be living with like a TV star and her parents. Like, okay, let's go. And my parents met her parents it's- and then moved in with her family.
0: Oh my God. Her, her parents, their parents must've been really nice.
1: Angel people. Her mother taught me how to write a check. Sorry, Ma, you didn't. Her mom (laughs) taught me how to write a check and like balance a checkbook, hundred percent. When that was still something people did. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Oh my God. I. I, That's. So, do you think was that your first? What was your first real Hollywood moment?
1: I mean probably when I went and did the nanny. I mean, I flew out to do the episode. I mean, we're talking 1992, three and the Northridge earthquake happened. (laughs) And so the set flooded, I was freaking out, panicking. I remember we went to like uh, some store and like a lipstick fell on my head and I was crying, cowering. Like that was pretty, that was a pretty LA moment, but it wasn't quite Hollywood. But then shooting the nanny was was probably the first like Hollywood. But then I moved back, you know, I stayed, I was still in New York with my family. And so I would say probably going to the TV guide awards with Ben Salisbury and meeting Jess was like, where the fuck am I? Yeah. What is happening? Yeah. How long did you live with her? Um, probably six months. Like I was like, school was going to start back up and right. I just, didn't go back. So I had made friends. I was only there, I was only at school for a semester. Wow. I dropped out and never went back. Um, so I, I would probably live with Jess for like six months. And then I found, you know, I that wasn't going to be long-term. Then like my agent had some friends who were also a family. And then I like moved in with their, in with this, oh, they were amazing. They were this incredible gay couple named Deborah and Therese. And they had a son named Daniel and, he was goth as hell, and I lived in their house, and they couldn't have been cooler. And then I finally, then I had a friend from a development deal I had when my first development deal, actually, when I started doing stand-up at fourteen, fifteen, I got a deal where Nell Scoville, who was like one of the only lady writers on the, uh, the Simpsons and Letterman, she wrote me a show when I was fifteen. Oh my god! And so that actually, oh well, that. Well, the nanny was before that. But when Nell wrote me a show, um, one of the girls that tested for it, she and I stayed friends. And when I needed a place to live in L.A., her mom and my mom connected and she was dropping out of college, too. <laughs> so awesome. She this, she's awesome. an incredible actress named Brie Blair. and She's been working consistently for 20 years. She and I moved in together in a one bedroom on Hollywood Boulevard. After oh, I moved geez. out of Jess's apartment, Jess's house.
0: Yeah, your parents must have been shocked. The difference mm-hmm. between a nice house in Calabasas and a one bedroom on Hollywood Boulevard is a little bit of a culture shock.
1: I mean, shit hole. And, oh. we lived in, and we both, our beds were on cinder blocks. Oh, I know that look. So very college. Very, I mean, finally I had a little bit of college. But Jess, living with Jess and being friends with Bree and that whole young actor situation, that was my college. Like we were hanging out at Oakwood the Oakwood apartment. Oh my
0: God. I haven't heard that in a long time because that's where everybody lives temporarily.
1: Yep. Blast from the past. So, you know, we were all kicking it over there. So my college was like all young actors, you know, Shane West and Rachel Lee cook and Ben Foster and all these kids before they were, you know, being hired.
0: Wow. So you, I mean, your resume is, uh, it's incredible, but you're a little bit like me and my family. Like you have not taken a straight path. No, ma'am. No, you have zigzagged, you know, as my mom used to say, just go through whatever door opens. Uh, and yeah. you have done
1: that. Um, I mean, you've worked with amazing people. I have worked with amazing people. You know, really, before we go on, I would be remiss um, in, if I didn't share with you that your mom is, I'm sure she's your hero. She's my hero.
0: Oh, she's my you. actual,
1: yeah, she was my actual hero. And, and, and every single interview I do, they say, not anytime anyone says to me, like, who's your hero and who's your biggest inspiration and whose sort of career do you just absolutely admire and want? It's always Joan Rivers. Oh, thank you. It's always Joan. Thank um, you. Um, but anyways, tell me, the, tell me the question again. Well, I was just saying that you worked with incredible people. Oh my God, yes.
0: And I mean, so much of it had to be very overwhelming. I'm thinking about to, uh, uh, I mean, everything from Sopranos to Sesame Street. Well, what's really funny- I mean, that's some range.
1: (laughs) Thank you so much. That's some serious range. so much. Um, So Sesame Street was just, I was living in New York and auditioning for, you know, all the things. Sesame Street and Sopranos were both still, obviously, in New York. Actually, I think they shoot at this one. It's very, I think they might both shoot at Silver Cup. I was going to
0: say, I think they both shoot at Silver Cup.
1: That's hilarious. Well, yes. So Silver Cup has as much range as- And by
0: the way, and for people who don't know, Silver Cup is like the big studio- in New York and if you're ever in New York and which is a bridge if you're going over going you know like towards uh Kennedy or LaGuardia you see this big sign that says Silver Cup that is Silver Cup Studios. Silver
1: Cup Studios. So I mean I did Sesame Street when I was little I mean that's just a great sidebar story is my agent Aggie Gold she would just tell everybody that I could do what they were asking for. Wait Aggie Gold
0: from Fresh Faces?
1: Uh that's right. Okay wow. So AG of FF, she used to tell people that I could do everything. And then when I would get the part, I'd have to learn how to do the thing. So on week, she told them I could pogo stick. And so then I went on the audition and that was how I broke my nose, fell into the marble floor. But listen, we live, we learn, and I can pogo stick now.
0: Daria, I love that you broke your nose auditioning for Sesame Street.
1: Uh-huh. Well, I got the part, so it was a, it was a win, ultimately.
0: not a total loss. Yeah, <laughs>
1: well, but then I, when I did The Sopranos, because you were saying about, like, you know, maybe being nervous working with people and, like, how did I do it? None of those people were famous people when I, I was on season one. Wow. So no one knew what that show was. It hadn't come out. Obviously right. we were just shooting and people were like the Sopranos. was like, are you singing? You're an alto. I was like, okay. like Nobody knew what that was. It didn't mean anything
0: yet. Right.
1: And so I wasn't, you know, super nervous, but my scenes were with all the greats. I mean, it was incredible. And I had just turned 18. And so we were these girls on a soccer team and I played Meadow's best friend, Heather, Silvio Dante's daughter. And, um, I had just turned 18. So all the other girls got to go home and then I had to stay and do like super late night shoots. It's like me and Edie Falco standing outside in the rain. So at the time I think I was bummed because I was like, everyone else got to go home. But then looking back, it's like, that shit was so cool. I got to hang out.
0: Right. Amazing. Now, um, one of the parts I'm thinking about is you played Gilda Radner. I did play Gilda Radner. How did that come to be? And how did you even begin to prepare for that?
1: I mean, so it's crazy.
0: So <laughs> it, was in the, it was in the movie about the, about, or the series about National Lampoon. Right. Uh, was it uh, no, you're uh, right. A, a, mm-hmm. futil, a futile and stupid
1: gesture? Yeah. So, yeah, it's crazy. So I, um, my, my like three people that I've sort of like clocked my entire life and been like that person, that thing has been Joan, Gilda, and Sarah Silverman. And I just go like, okay, this is so. With Gilda, I watched her VHS, her um, her SNL Greatest Hits VHS. Like uh-huh. I just on repeat growing up. So I would just walk around the house doing Rosanna Dana and Emily Latella and never mind, yeah, never mind, and Lisa Lubner, uh-huh. and I was just obsessed always in doing the characters. Now, what's funny about Gilda, we sort of have similar speaking voices. Similar, really? Like- yeah, because it's just it's um, it's raspy. Yeah, And it's like a little bit, you know, it's Jewish. It's like a little through the nose and a little bit of a rasp. And so when I would just go like, oh, I'm Gilda Radner, because you put it in the back of your throat because are from Detroit, we almost have very similar speaking voices. So I didn't have to really go too far. And as far as prepping all the characters for the audition, it wasn't even prep. I just did what I knew and had always been doing. And I think you probably understand this one where it's like, you know, I think it's so rare that you are just the person for the part. Right. And even when you are 99.99 times out of hundred, you still don't get it. Right. And at this point in my career, this was before glow. This was before my car- So it was like, I had nothing going on, nothing going on. I had like a little agent, didn't have a manager. And I just, I just went on this audition and they had seen every other living soul in the city. And I love to tell this story that the other girl in the waiting room was this, like, gorgeous Latinx actress to play really? Gilda Radner. Like they, were, her, they, were, they were desperate. They were desperate. And it was like, oh, my God, they are really seeing everyone, you know. It would be like if I was trying out for Selena. Like, the other girls in the waiting room would be like, what the hell? Yeah, exactly.
0: So, right. No, and I'm sure she was, you know, and gorgeous and talented and everything <laughs> she should be. be. But
1: you're like, guys, okay. I, 100%. I, I, yeah, percent. But then I, I just really was like, oh, they are really pulling out all the stops for this one. And I think it's really the only reason I was seen is because they were really looking for. They weren't going for celebrity. They weren't. They were just wanted a Jewish comedian to come in and be Gilda Radner. And on my on my short list of skills, that that's one that's one of them. And I was I I was ready to go in there. And what's interesting is in the movie they didn't even really. It wasn't even about, obviously, it was about National Lampoon. It wasn't about Gilda on SNL. So that was an afterthought. They were like, listen, and it's Alison Jones, the best casting director in the world. And so they were like, listen, you know, you can try some of her characters from SNL if you want, just to give us the feel. Right. Because, you know, it doesn't, it's not going to be Gilda on SNL in this movie, but just to show us, and I just did them all. There was costume changes. I brought a guitar. I mean, it could have looked pretty embarrassing and thirsty, you know how, like, you're just sometimes too try hard?
0: Yeah, I love that you brought costume changes. Oh,
1: and Allison Jones was into it. She was like, at one point, I was like, she, I was, she was, I was like struggling a little bit. And she was like, What do you need me to hand you, babe? Like, she was into it. Like, she and was helping. She wanted you to get it. 100%. And when I walked out the door, I have chills. I, I don't know if you can see them. I have huge chills. As I walked out the door, she famously said, Famously in my family story, my legacy, she famously said, Jackie. I said, Yeah, Allison. She said, don't cut your hair.
0: Oh,
1: And I was like, oh, wait a minute. Like, I got this. Hey, or, I'm, or I'm at least being considered. Like, right. Don't get a haircut. And then I saw her. I went um, with, uh, there was a Kristen Bell, Melissa McCarthy movie. Yes,
0: and I'm blanking Allison on
1: cast. it. And yeah. I went with Kristen to the premiere, and Allison was there. And she saw, because she cast it, and she was like, okay, I know we're taking a minute on this. Do not cut your hair. I'm working on it. And was like personally telling me, like, I'm trying to get you this part. And apparently because I hadn't worked in a long time, it wasn't easy. They were like, right. who? What?
0: I, but you, you brought up Kristen. And I want to circle back. But first, I want to talk to you about GLOW. <gasps> did you have to learn how to wrestle?
1: Did you go to yes. like wrestling school? 100%. We did a full month of absolutely in the ring, on the mat, rigorous wrestling training for a month before every season started.
0: Did you get hurt
1: at all? Um, funny, when the show was on, I didn't really want to talk about it because we just wanted to make the show forever and not let anybody. So we were like, no, we're all strong and perfect. Um, we got a little hurt. You know, we, we didn't, nobody, thank God, knock wood, like no, poo-poo-poo, bite your tongue. Nobody got super hurt, but there were moments. Like I had to go, I, I, I hurt my ankle at one point, I had to go to the hospital, but then it was just a sprain and- right. But that was while we were shooting, but they were so careful with us. Um, and that was why. Well, they needed to be. Of course, because we didn't have stunt doubles. So we didn't. Really? It's crazy. So we only had people come in, um, these women, Shauna Duggins, who won the Emmy for stunts uh, for GLOW two years in a row. And we had this woman, Helena, and Chavo Guerrero is one of the beyond, one of the wrestling greats of all time. So we had them every season. And then um, only if, so for the rest of the cast, I don't think we had anyone come in and do our stunts, but Allie and Betty, the two, like the lead leads of the show, they were having to do matches five and six and seven times. And so on the five, fifth and sixth time, the stunt coordinators would come in. So, you know, I mean, it's not normal for an actress to, be in Do- a crucifix and then super no. someone into a schoolboy and then bash her body on the mat. I love the fact well. that you
0: you know all the, all the terms.
1: I miss wrestling. <laughs> I, mean, I genuinely miss wrestling. That's so... But you brought up
0: Kristen. How did... You guys are best friends.
1: Uh-huh. How did that happen? It's crazy. So I... You know what it is? It's like I've been out here for so long that like, you know people that you became friends with 500 years ago get successful,
0: you know? Yeah. <laughs> so you and Kristen have been friends forever.
1: Oh, like 20, 20 years, I think. Yeah, we, um, we met because we both were being directed by a guy named Andy Fickman, who's one of my favorite directors. And also Andy Fickman became a huge monster director. He directed me in a play called Jutopia in 2000. I
0: remember Jutopia.
1: Your mom came.
0: Yes she did
1: opening night um but we we um so i I originated all the female roles in Utopia, of which I think there were eleven, and um Andy Fickman directed it, went on to be, you know direct every all these major movies, but uh he was directing Kristen in a play called snow
0: i don't know and
1: sure. right no i, I you you certain you would and i and so i um I went to Snow and Kristen came to Jutopia because we are both trying to like support each other's shows. And um, we saw each other and we were like, well, she's fun. And then Andy connected us and we became friends. We went to the flea market and then we were in love ever since.
0: I, I, I love it. But tell me about your new um, project. Do, um, was it Do Re Mi? Yes. So tell me, I'll, because this is what blows my mind. You and Kristen created it together, it's animated and you wrote. 50 songs for it.
1: Psychotic.
0: Okay. No, but first, tell, favorite... explain to people what Doray Me is because I think it's so cute.
1: Okay. So Ray and Me is an animated musical preschool series on Amazon where three little birds live in a musical town called Bebopsburg and <laughs> they write a song every day. And so they go through, you know, their trials and tribulations. And in the end of every episode, there's a song. But what's so special about Dory me, other than the fact that we sneak teach music education to preschoolers, um, is that the sounds through, that the kids hear throughout the episode make up the song at the end of the episode. So when they hear the song at the end, it's not like they're hearing it for the first time. They've been hearing bits and pieces and the sounds and instruments and melodies that make up that song right. for the whole 11 minutes.
0: Who came up with this?
1: Me. <laughs> so, I mean, seriously, well, why don't you take on something
0: larger? What, well, made actually, you,
1: what made you want to do this? Well, I came up with that musical idea, but my friend Mike Scharf uh, came to me with wanting to make an animated musical series. So Mike brought this to me and then he was like, you're musical, what can we do? And we were just some like hustling, scrappy, you know, friends, he's a brilliant show creator, animator, but hadn't really had his ticket yet. And I was the same, I mean, this was before Gilda, Glow, everything. So this is, Mike brought me that, Mike came to me with the eight wanting to make this together in 2014. Wow. And so then we developed it. And then I figured out how to bring sort of the music in. And then I brought my friend Dave in, who writes for John Legend and Pink, an incredible songwriter. And so Dave and I wrote all the music. But who writes 50? I mean, what are you, Taylor Swift? You wrote 50 (laughs) songs all about stuff that happens? The Jewish Jewish Taylor Swift. Well, it's just crazy because the show, I pitched this idea that um, you know, that the sounds that the kids hear throughout the episode make up the final song. And then it's, and then I also pitched that every episode be a different musical genre. Oh my but God. But that was before I knew they were going to make 50 episodes.
0: That's crazy. So then, That's, a, by the way,
1: isn't it amazing
0: when you run your mouth off in a meeting and suddenly <laughs> they go, oh, okay, great idea? You're like, shit.
1: 100%. Story yeah. of my life. Yeah. And I'm like, but it's interesting because I think, you know, you, you get to see what you're capable of, right? Like if someone told me I had to do that, I'd been like, what? But then when you're in it and you're immersed in it and you're just doing it, you're just doing it. It's like glow. Like I never fancied myself an athlete and now I'm body slamming bitches. And it's like, okay, guess, <laughs> guess I can. I love
0: the fact that though, with Doray and me, you guys basically did the same thing that Lin-Manuel did in Hamilton before Hamilton, <laughs> Which is all the different genres and the constant callbacks to the previous songs.
1: I didn't say it. You said it. I said it. I love it.
0: Let's just say that he took your concept. Wow. Wow. (laughs) (laughs) Let's just go with that. Um, uh, Okay. And then I'm going to let you go. American Idol?
1: I can't. Okay. So I love that that's all you have to say. So, and I love the fact that you know exactly
0: where we're going with this. I mean, this. of
1: course. So American Idol was such an interesting, life-changing experience. You auditioned so many times before the people at home see you. So I think in the very first, like, I was in the IZOD Center in Jersey, and there's 18,500 people there. And all that's separating you from the next auditioner is like a sheet connected to some PVC piping. So if there's a big singer next to you, you're trying to be like, I'm in a New York state of mind. And there's someone next to you singing like, and I am telling you. And you're <laughs> like, bro, I'm trying to sing something qu-. like you can't. And it's right. literally separated by a sheet. Yeah. So I sang New York state of mind for my first audition. Cause I love Billy Joel. I'm from New York. I did like a cool jazzy singer songwriter version of it. And they liked it. And I went through and then you go into like the bowels of the IZOD Center and you like meet some producers and then you meet more producers. So on that first day, there were like two or three rounds of cuts. Then you find out if you're going to sing in front of what to America looks like that first audition when you walk into Randy, Simon and Paula.
0: Right. But we all know that you've already gone through days.
1: Days. So then, and that's like weeks later now. So you're like waiting to hear. So then I go into the Randy Simon and Paula one. And for that one, I sang an original and I played my guitar.
0: Which by the way, in
1: season eight was
0: very edgy.
1: Thank you, Melissa, for pointing that out to our friends. No one was doing that. And they weren't even, they even told us that I could bring my guitar in the room, but I couldn't play it. And I was like, so it's just a visual to let people know because on my season- you couldn't play an instrument. So the people who made the top 24 were not allowed to play instruments, which is crazy, which is not only is it crazy, it's foolish because yeah. they're saying what they kept saying on American Idol and they had all these dumb terms, but they were always like, yeah, we need to eat. We, we want to even the playing field. And it was like, well, why I play guitar, ukulele and keys. And I, and I learned them. So why are we even like, if right. someone else can get up there and play sick, upright bass, I can't do that. It's not an even playing field. And by the way, a ton of these people sing way better than me. Yeah. Not, my value is that I'm like a folksy singer songwriter. Not that I'm Jennifer Hudson. Right. So they, they, they cut you off at the knees. But that's what it was. And I knew it and I tried out. But then they, had, they let me play my guitar. Because once it was there, I guess Simon doesn't know that the producers are like, don't play it. So he's like, what do you got? So I just played it. There you go. <laughs> and then I also sang I'm Yours by Jason Moran's.
0: Cute. So cute. So you made it to Holly, the Hollywood round, correct?
1: Yeah. I made it all the way. I all made it all the way to the live shows. Oh, wait. Where did you end up? I it's weird. So my season was this sort of backward situation where there was a top 36. Okay. And then there was 12 people singing each week for three weeks. Right. And then the top boy, girl, and third person made it immediately through to the top 12 got it. So I made it to my, to the top, to, to my week where I sang a uh, oh, moment of silence, please. I sang a little less conversation, but I had by Elvis, but I had never heard that song. Oh, they, they brought it to me. Oh. So I, I pitched like dream on by Aerosmith and I pitched mercy but I'm begging you for mercy like just as, I Amy Wine I mean I came in a
0: little less conversation I
1: pitched all these Carol King I pitched all this soulful shit and they were like we love that you're high energy so we want to and they made it like this was a gift they were like we want to open all the live shows with you because you're super high energy and everyone at home knows that so we want you to sing a high energy song because we can't open the live shows with a ballad it just doesn't work no and they were like, this person, you know, did amazingly with this song years ago. This is like a classic song on Idol. People love this. And they had me do it. First of all, going first is the worst thing you can ever do on American Idol because they have nothing to compare you to.
0: Except that if you blow the doors off, everybody's trying to catch up to you.
1: Kind of. But even if you blow the doors off, you're just as good blowing the doors off fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth. Right. eighth. So, so if you're going to blow the doors off, you can go anywhere. Right. Going first is a curse for anybody, because even if you blow the doors off, you could have succeeded anywhere.
0: Right. But what I'm just saying is that's always supposed to be like a compliment.
1: Sort of. Yes. Like in a comedy show, it's also like you don't really want to go first. Like people aren't ready yet. There's a mood that needs to be set. Anyway, no excuses. I sang the wrong song. What do you mean? You sang the wrong song. I mean that it's not like I'm not. I'm. I don't want to make it like I went first and I'm. But it. There was like a bunch of things that made it just a fail. Like singing that song, which I didn't want to sing. That wasn't my idea. And then going out there first because there were other people who went later. But now we could compare them, and you're not going to be as harsh if other. Does that make sense? Right. Totally. Totally. um, So I made it to top thirty six. And then nine people in my week of 12 went home and then nine went home the next week and nine went home the next week. So I had given, I think this was March, and I had given my entire life to this since August of the year prior.
0: Holy shit.
1: And then, I, and then it was over.
0: But, and it was the Adam Lambert year. Mm-hmm. Who, people don't realize, didn't win. Chris Allen won. And where is Chris Allen?
1: Correct. Hanging out
0: hanging out somewhere.
1: Lovely guy hanging out. But yeah, Adam didn't even win, but he was amazing. So, but the reason it changed my life is because I started touring after that, like illegally, like the contract said, you couldn't, you couldn't play shows. You couldn't make videos. You couldn't do anything. Right. And I was like, okay. And then I just stamped American Idol on all my press kits and sent them out as many places as I could and just started touring.
0: That's crazy. That's awesome. So before I let you go, and I hate asking this question, but I always do because I'm always really curious. What is next? Girlfriend, boyfriend, husband, wife, kids, touring, uh, getting some sleep. What is going on?
1: Okay. So currently, um, you know, Do Re Mi is out on Amazon uh, and we just had a Christmas episode come out. And then next year we have of course, 34 more episodes coming out in, in 2022, which is so super exciting and, um, stand up mostly, um, follow me on Instagram at Jackie Tone, T-O-H-N. Tone like Cone. Tone like Cone, baby, silent H. Um, yeah. And just really at this point, uh, my writing partner and I wrote a feature that we're going to pitch and a friend of mine and I, wrote a pilot we're going to you know so it's just like the racket like same thing with do re mi when we were like we we created this cartoon we hope someone makes it so i'm just making more stuff to hopefully cuz now that covid is hopefully i mean now the new variant but now that covid you know things are sort of back open a little i think it's a little easier for studios and production companies to read scripts and go like okay i can at least see a universe where we could make this right because people weren't really buying stuff during COVID because it was like, well, how are, it's going to cost a trillion dollars to even attempt this. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I hosted a show called Best Leftovers Ever um, in January of this year on Netflix. And that's a huge one for me. Like, I just want, honestly, let's be honest. I mean, we can't, do I even say this? Does fashion police come back? Do I want to do it?
0: I wish it would come back, but it's kind of it's my not thing. the right time.
1: Yeah, I hear that. Yeah. We'll talk about that later, but yeah, it's like, yeah, because you can't say shit now.
0: Can't say anything. Anyway, Jackie, you are a joy. Everyone needs to go watch Dory and me on Amazon. Thank you so much. Thank you, Melissa.